Hello and welcome once again to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 68. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. And joining me today, I have David Worth of Big Nerd Ranch. David, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Kind of a little... Long-time geek, not really surprised on a show like this, you know, grew up playing with computers. Um, but as an adult, I've done all sorts of things. Started with getting a computer science degree, where I left pretty quickly, realizing I didn't think the math or the engineering problems in computer science were very interesting. I now disagree with that take, but that was me when I was young. I went off and got all sorts of jobs doing software development and then graduate school in mathematics, planning on doing that for the rest of my life. That didn't work out. Um, came back out into the software world, started doing... Um, originally actually some remote work for a company out of New York that was really interesting, doing all sorts of things, Java and .NET and things. Um, but I actually found myself being kind of lonely, being in a new town and, uh, and working from home, which was kind of strange. So I actually went back to the wild world of not working remotely and working in a cubicle, um, being a network engineer at the mm-hmm. University of Tennessee. Um, and then I discovered that I didn't necessarily want to live in a cubicle for the rest of my life. It didn't really suit me. Um, and I found myself... Uh, getting a job offer from High Groove Studios, which has now very recently become Big Nerd Ranch, uh, based in Atlanta, and I've been happily working remote ever since. Now, that's a familiar name on this show. Um, I talked to Jonathan Wallace of High Groove uh, back in July, and yep. um, so it's it's going to be interesting, I think, uh, hearing about some of the changes there, because uh, as I understand it, as part of joining Big Nerd Ranch, things have gotten a little bit more dispersed uh, in, in your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually interesting because Jonathan and I were the only two remote workers that High Groove had. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't have an anti-remote workers policy by any means, but we really kind of encouraged people to be in Atlanta um, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, since the merger with Big Nerd Ranch, uh, we immediately became more dispersed by the nature of Big Nerd Ranch and their previous organization. Uh, they already had an office in Amsterdam. They had an office in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and then there are lots of people that are just kind of dispersed naturally. So there are people all over. You know, what it means to be remote is actually, I think, newer for a lot of the people who were at High Groove and at Big Nerd Ranch kind of at the central locations than it is for those of us who are already remote, right? So for a lot of us, nothing changed. We can't tell the difference at all. But suddenly there are some kind of organizational challenges to being comfortable with the fact that lots of people are remote and, you know, that we have an Amsterdam office where people would love to go. Right? That's a that's a big goal. Can we all go work for Amsterdam for a while? That'd be fantastic. Right. Yeah, that's but a big also, uh, transition. Oh, yeah, um, but part of it, part of um, High Groove and Epic Nerd Ranch is we've always encouraged people to not necessarily work from the office. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know Jonathan talked about the fact that you know we're results only work environment, and what that means mostly to people is that we just want you to do your job really well. And if that means not coming to the office because you work better at home or you work better at the coffee shop or you work better at the beach, we really don't care. We don't want to be involved in that level of micromanagement. Presenteeism is something we really fight against. And so to even encourage that, uh, last year, we took everyone from High Group Studios who wanted to to go down to the beach in Florida and work from a couple of beach houses. It was a working vacation. We were at the beach. You were still expected to keep your customers happy, do all of your work. And on top of that, you were expected that each team within the company was going to cook dinner one night, which is a pretty big task. And there were a few people who couldn't make it or had to make it at different times. 
And Charles Brian Quinn, our CEO, said, okay, those of you who can't come down, we're really sorry that you can't. That's a big bummer for us. But do try this week to work from somewhere you don't usually work. So you get used to the idea of not being at the office. The office isn't the place that you have to work. Mm-hmm. And he really encouraged that, that being comfortable without, with not being in an office. Um, you, you really like to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, tell me a little bit about the transition, uh, as now you're working with a team that has lots of, uh, lots of people scattered around. Uh, what have been the challenges there? So it's, it's interesting because, like I said, for me, nothing was apparently different. But mm-hmm. obviously, interacting with some of the other people, especially the previous Big Nerd Ranch folks, it's, it's very interesting. We kind of have this split horizon where we talk about we are not high groovers anymore. We're all Big Nerd Ranchers. But there's clearly this part where it's like the pre-high groove merger Big Nerd Ranchers. Um, right. The, the, pr- the previous Big Nerd Ranchers were already pretty comfortable with it. There was no really real thinking about it um, because they had Alabama, an Alabama office and an Amsterdam office. The I think it was the high groovers who joined the team for whom it was a little bit more difficult. Sure, they were used to me being remote and they were used to Jonathan being remote. And he actually has um, another person in the Athens office now. But suddenly this idea that, you know, ooh, I might have to schedule, say, a sales call with some of the engineers in Amsterdam became just at least a logistical Complica- not complication. Complication has a negative connotation, but a new concern, something we had to be aware of. Um, but something that was kind of fantastic is um, when people who are already remote feel kind of lonely or like some more, the first thing that Charles seems to say is, hey, do you want to open an office where you are? You know, Would it make it better to actually open an office? And whether that starts out as a co-location that you get a couple of people in or an actual office, that's kind of the process we're encouraging. Yeah, He said that to me, and I said, well, I'm the only one. I'm actually in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm the only one here. And for me, that wouldn't be a win. Just the way I kind of run my schedule, having an office wouldn't make me any more productive and wouldn't make me any happier. So mm-hmm. no, but thank you. But now people who are dispersed have the opportunity to kind of create a satellite and a, a very formal satellite of Big Nerd Ranch. Mm-hmm. And I think that alone, that freedom and that kind of empowerment um, is a very positive change. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your lifestyle as a remote worker. So um, it's actually a little bit more traditional than most people would expect. Um, there's very rarely sitting in my boxers on the beach, you know, in, although it's totally possible I could do it anytime I want and no one would care or no otherwise. Um, I'm actually kind of an early to rise kind of person. I've discovered that my sweet spot for productive coding is basically between 7 a.m. and 11 or noon. And so I really take advantage of that five hour window. Uh, that's the time when I try not to log into the work chat room even. I set a Pomodoro timer. I start grabbing stories and start delivering features as much as I can. And then I schedule the rest of my life around some of my other uh, responsibilities. I, I do some sales work, some sa- uh, technical sales work for the company. So those calls tend to come in the afternoon because I don't have to be my zone for coding. I can then talk to customers about our process and what we do and how we can meet their needs. I do a lot of kind of mentorship and pair programming stuff. With both the, we, our, our company is kind of divided into teams, natural teams around what we do, it's the agile principles of self-organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually kind of forced self-organizing teams at first when it was still high groove, just like everybody become teams because we've gotten just large enough that the completely flat uh, organization didn't work anymore. And mm-hmm. then we've reorganized teams to be actually very organic, which has been really nice. And so I, I have some team responsibilities where I work with my team. I, you know, I, I really make some time to pair with people who are, who are struggling. And a lot of them are more afternoon, evening-centric people. So even though I'm out of my sweet spot, I'm available for them in that time, and I can help them debug or, or you know, really solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so I, I kind of break my life up around those two, like my, my coding sweet spot and and my my company responsibilities that are not coding, um, and then my hobbies, which involve being on my bicycle as much as I possibly can. Um, and being remote, it's kind of great. You know, I when I want to ride my bike, I get on my bike. As long as I don't have things to do, I don't have calls, or I don't have work to do right now, I can just do that, mm-hmm. and I take complete advantage of that. That's wonderful. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, to the point that uh, during my interview, the question was, you know, what was best about your first remote job? Like, uh, what was best was riding my bike whenever I wanted. What was worst about your first remote job? I was totally lonely. Are you going to be lonely now? No, I don't think so. And so I've kind of picked up that same thing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What are the things that go into you feeling lonely in the past, but not so much now? Well, um, two things. And there's a little bit of backstory. I moved to Tennessee for my wife to go to graduate school. And this is almost immediately after getting my first real job, in quotes, out of college. So I left uh, the city where I had grown up in New Mexico and arrived in Tennessee where I knew almost knew but nobody. And I was working remotely with only one or two people at work. And it's funny how when you when you work at home, you don't really have to do much in terms of socializing, right? You can very quickly fall into a routine of wake up, work, ride bikes, drink a beer, go to bed, repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you never end up meeting anybody. And even though I've never been a super social butterfly kind of person, that it, it took its toll on me unexpectedly. I was really surprised when I found myself being lonely. And and part of it was the, the old company culture. Um, while the company was made up of very nice people, it was a very different culture than I kind of naturally associate with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like I found that I wanted to spend hours and hours and hours chatting with the people I worked with on a campfire or something. So it ended up being, you know, when I was working, I was just really working and making sure that my boss and our customers were happy. And then I was doing something else. And I just never ended up finding the social circles locally that would have allowed me to have the social experience I wanted. And so I forced myself to go get a, a, a real job with people so that I could be social thinking that would solve that. And it did to some extent. I met a lot more people instantly and it meeting some very, very good friends through that job who I'm still in contact with after having gone back to being remote. Hmm. Okay. Let's talk about pairing a little bit. What, uh, what technology do you use for that? First of all, that's a great question. So, um, I'm actually on a project where I, for a while I was doing full-time pairing and I pair quite often with the only other developer on the project. And we've experimented with a lot of technologies. We keep kind of just, Coming back to Skype because of simplicity, not because it's good, not because we enjoy using it, but because it works almost every time almost well enough. There are a few other options. Uh, there's a tool called Powwow we kept talking about trying to use. Um, there were attempts for a while to try to do some TMUX sharing. Um, I, we're both Vimmers, so there's that advantage. You know, we've talked about in the past all over the, the blogospheres of how to do pairing well. You both have to be able to use the editor, right? Like if, if you're both going to be touching it, you both need to be able to use the same editor, especially right. in trade-off roles. Um, we're both Vimmers naturally, so that's cool. I didn't use Tmux the way he did, but I could cope. But we could never get just that technology working really well, and it was never smooth and never felt natural, and felt like we were shaving yaks rather than doing what we really want to do, which is deliver customer features and then go drink beer. Um, so we have been using Skype quite a bit um, because it, it's also convenient to just do voice and and the screen sharing in the same app, no questions. We recently started using Google Hangouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, conduct, I conducted an interview over Google Hangout, and I found the screen sharing is really natural. And it seems, and this is completely anecdata, but it seems a little bit more responsive under questionable home bandwidth, which has suddenly mm-hmm. become a real issue. So, in fact, we did some pairing over it yesterday, and it was very successful. Um, we've also, we're, we are actually a very Mac centric shop. 
So there's messages, which I guess used to be iChat, and it has some screen sharing, voice sharing, video chat capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I use that depending on who I'm pairing with and what their preference is. For example, if I'm helping somebody to diagnose a problem, they're going to be using their system and sharing their screen with me. I'd rather them just use whatever technology is most comfortable for them. And so if they want messages, fine, we'll just do that. Um, right. The one thing that's kind of awkward, and this is this both a pro and a con about messages, is that you share a mouse and keyboard essentially, right? Which in a true pairing kind of environment, this is a uh, like a full-time pairing uh, formal situation, that'd be perfect, exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want your parent on the other side of the screen, clicking over to a chat window, discussing something with somebody else, surfing the web, looking at Facebook, ha, ha, ha. But right. there are times where I find it really convenient to have my pair go look at API docs, mm-hmm. right? Can you look that up while I deal with this thing that we know we can just do, you know, some horrible iteration? If you can just get the specific semantics of some other call in the meantime, it feels a little bit more efficient. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like that. And when you share uh, mouse and keyboard, that way you don't get to do the same thing, and you get some inadvertent, hilarious clicks on occasion. <laughs> so we do use that, um, but generally only when when my partner opts into that. Um, we we don't really push a pairing formalism. We don't push mm-hmm. the kind of roles of pairing. You know, somebody's gonna be typing, we're gonna be talking through it and really discussing problems. And I think for us, the most value is getting good names and and having two eyes. On, or two pairs of eyes on the same code up front, so this, the, it increases quality radically. And, and, and to be honest, Skype has done just well enough, not because it's great, but because it always gets us far enough along to get what we really need to get done, done. Mm-hmm. And, and now Google Hangouts. Okay. So what else can you tell me about uh, your thoughts on working with a distributed team? It's pretty fantastic. Um, I, I really like it, but that's not substantive. So... One thing that was kind of substantive is we started pushing, um, we, we like science at Big Nerd Ranch. Like we like to not only have anecdata that this feels good and this feels right and so we should have policy around things. We also don't like a lot of policy. Like we want everyone just to do the right thing naturally. Um, and, and you know, make sure that everyone's get, is happy and we're doing the right thing. But there are times when science is really important. And in one area we started, uh, trying to conduct some science, which is the value of pairing and full-time pairing on projects. And it's interesting. Like I said earlier, you know, even people who are near the home office are, you know, are literally blocked from the home office may never go to the office and there's no reason for them to. We really don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the per- current project I'm on, we've done a great deal of pairing. We, we actually admitted to a deadline or we agreed to a deadline that ended up being almost impossible. And we were embarrassed. It's like we really don't do, we don't like hard deadlines because we're an iterative shop in the first place, but we always deliver working software and we agreed to a demo that became the deadline. And we ended up just killing ourselves full-time pairing for like four days to get something that would make the customer look good for his boss so we could keep working for him. We got mm-hmm. done. We're properly chastised for agreeing. But in that time, both my partner and I, who had never really thought about full-time pairing before or even significant amounts of time pairing before, we were just kind of thrown into it, completely realized the value. And I think we were both very surprised at how well we worked together that closely for so long. Um, there was never stress, never raised voices. There was sometimes confusion, but you know, it is a very pleasant working environment. Hmm. And so we started pushing it a little bit more broadly um, throughout the company, saying, hmm. you know, generally we only have one developer on our project, but maybe we should consider having two more often uh, on on most smaller projects. And of course, hmm. large projects we have many many developers, uh, but maybe we should start as an organization putting a little bit more emphasis on pairing. Mm-hmm. So we had another project, which is very, very different. I and mean, that the project I'm describing working on was just a Rails app. Um, it's, it's a complicated Rails app with some moving parts, but not a huge infrastructural component. And, and really, two devs can keep their hands on it. We have another customer 
who has a very, very, very large infrastructural component. Um, and it's very complicated. I've worked on that customer's work before or uh, project before, and it's, it was very difficult to even get your hands on. There's just so much, so many moving parts. So the very experienced developers in the project, they know everything about it. They have their heads around it and they can be very productive. And so we decided since we had hired a brand new developer who's going to that project that maybe an experiment in full-time pairing, uh, for them would be good or, if not full-time pairing, significant amounts of time pairing. Mm -hmm. And they found it very, very difficult, actually, um, because of the distributed nature of the project, uh, distributed nature, oh, sorry, of that team. And they're actually both in Atlanta. Um, but one of the developers is, is very much a night owl mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, tended to work late afternoons through very late at night and then not, and be around, but not necessarily be working during the day. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other developer, the newer developer, uh, had just had a child and tends to work in the morning because it works best. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of out of phase in their schedules. And so we asked them after a couple of weeks, maybe it was a few weeks of attempting to do mostly pairing to write up a, a debrief on their experience because we mm -hmm. had done that for hours, which was all positive. And theirs was a very negative response. And not because they didn't think that there was value in pairing, and especially in development problems, but they felt like maybe in infrastructural things, there's less value, right? I mean, you're, you're editing chef uh, recipes, and yeah, they're Ruby code, but they're not really being tested. So there's less TDD. And a lot of the things that we usually pair on weren't, weren't present there. But also, they found that it wasn't very row, uh, results only, right? In that um, you were suddenly expected to work together at certain times rather than delivering functionality when it was best for you. And so that's actually something we've wrestled with. That, there's kind of a distributed team's nature there, right? If you, in, in, th in this case, it was by chosen biorhythms, but it could also be that one of the engineers is in Amsterdam and the other engineer is in, in Atlanta or, or even worse, somewhere on the West Coast for a few weeks. You know, scheduling those things actually becomes difficult. And so there's some resistance to that. Now, I, I take a little bit of exception with that. I understand that for them, that really was their experience. That it was very unnatural and that distributed nature kind of made it hard for them. Um, my current partner and I are actually very opposite though in our time schedules. He's definitely an, uh, an late afternoon, night kind of developer and I'm definitely a morning developer, as I said. And we've found ways, um, now that we're no longer under the, the terrible crunch that we were, to make sure that we were available for kind of an intersection in the middle of the day. And it's an agreement, right? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, we if we're going to get the value we need from pairing, we have to work at the same times. So does that mean that it, it'll be one of those things where I'm wrapping up my day, I'm totally cooked, I can't look at code anymore, um, you know, but I need some more eyes. Can we get together tomorrow? And, you know, can you come in a little bit earlier, which is like 11, so we can get a couple of hours together? Or, you know, tomorrow I will reserve time later in the day to make sure that we can work together. And we've been very successful at that. Mm -hmm. But it really needs to be conscious and you really need to see the value up front mm -hmm. of that, of that scheduling and of that pairing to want to make that decision, I think. And yeah, seeing that up front is, is probably, um, it's probably difficult in some situations. What would you do if you were to start working with a new pair, uh, maybe somebody who's new to the team? Um, based on these two different experiences, what would you do to make that initial experience the best possible? How would you sort of draw them into pairing? Oh, that's actually an excellent question. Um, I think a, a great case is, um, or a, a great way to draw someone in is if it's an existing project in particular, pairing on refactoring. There's always somewhere in your code that needs to be refactored, right? Or, and even if it's not in your code, it's going to be in your test suite. <laughs> There's somewhere that could really use some love. And if you just toss a new developer at some code and say, hey, refactor this test, it will never happen. 
And that's not the way to get them comfortable with Upstart. And I personally find Upstart to be the hardest part of any project. Getting your head around the domain, getting your head around the technologies, getting your head around the standards in the code base. So it seems like one really cool way would be to say, hey, let's um, kind of do a high-level overview for 15 minutes, and then I will show you a place that really needs some love, and let's talk to the domain, and then why don't you drive the refactor? Let's do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a really kind of comfortable introduction to a pairing situation. I think in that kind of context where there's really no stakes, it could also, you know, you've got some time you can kind of play, you can mess with the code, and you can show the value of two eyes on a piece of code. And it's even better, particularly if you were the dev who wrote that code that needs to be refactored, you mm-hmm. get to show the immediate humility of, it's awesome um, that you're going to make this better because I did bad, or as well as I could, maybe. Right. That's a cool um, idea. But yeah, I, mean, I, I had to be kind of kicked into pairing. I was... Mm-hmm very hesitant about it. Uh, a friend of mine asked before I started a high groove, like, because, you know, you look at the high groove website and now the Vigner Ranch website, we talk about agile and all these kind of new wave technologies that make really great code once you're used to them, once you're comfortable to them. But they can be kind of intimidating to somebody who's come from big enterprise where it's really not agile. Um, and a friend just said, so you don't always love hanging out with computer people all the time. How is it going to be to pair all the time? I said, well, I don't think we do full-time pairing. And and the other answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's going to be. And my first pairing experiences at Highgroove were blatantly just me breaking things. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I broke it. I broke it. I broke it. Oh, gosh. And we have an SLA with this customer and it needs to be fixed right now. And mm-hmm. I grabbed one of the other more experienced people and they would pair with me in that they would share their screen while they fixed it and were very <laughs> nice to me and didn't chastise me at all. And, and really, it made me feel better about the whole situation. We're really awesome about it. Um, but th- that was kind of the initial pairing. And it wasn't until I made a mistake in agreeing to a, a short deadline where the pairing kind of was just forced on us and not even forced by any external for- force, but mm-hmm. we agreed to just sit down and do it until it was right. Did it become clear how valuable it was? So are you going to be trying to um, pair more after that experience? Oh, yeah. And in fact, and there's, I, I try to pair a lot now. I find mm-hmm. and not only on projects I'm working on, but with my, with my teammates um, within our little team at Big Nerd Ranch. I try to do that whenever someone says, I'm struggling with something, or I just need another pair of eyes. I try to help. And then I also try to encourage others to get together and pair because mm-hmm. of that, the value I found from that. I'm, I'm shocked at myself at how much value I take from it and how much I think others will get from it as well who don't necessarily do it. Mm-hmm. But we don't set everybody up to do so. There's a lot of projects where it's just one developer, right? And so the natural pairing isn't there. Right. Both people aren't familiar with the domain. So generally when somebody else agrees to look, they're, they're the completely naive eyes who very often are very useful, right? They're just experienced developers and they can ask you the question you haven't asked yourself right. Or say, hey, stick a debug statement right there. Let's see what that really is. And then you find something that's horrible and then you can Mm -hmm. fix it that way. Um, but we, we've been talking more and more, uh, myself and a couple of, we have a chief methodologist who recently became our chief operations officer. And basically his job is to make sure we're all doing things as well as we can, right? Make sure operations are smooth and that we have good methodologies in the company. And he and I talked about this, like the, the fact that, you know, when you work alone, things can, that you may not have the resources to pull upon or to, to call upon to help make things better. And if you naturally start having two people on a project, regardless of enforcing pairing or not, pairing automatically becomes more natural. Right. All right. Well, this has been this has been super insightful. Uh, all this, uh, especially all the stuff that you have to say about you know the practical side of remote pairing. Before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where people can find you and your projects and uh, Big Nerd Ranch online? 
Sure. Uh, well, Big Nerd Ranch is easy. You type in Big Nerd Ranch to Google, and you will get both BigNerdRanch.com, our website. Um, we also have our blog, which is where we keep a lot of technical blogging and also a lot of process blogging, which I think is kind of interesting, and also Big Nerd Ranch on Twitter. Uh, myself, I'm Big Nerd Dave. Um, that's kind of my professional persona. Um, and Dave Worth on GitHub. And those are kind of the best places to find me. And you know, I'm totally open to any questions. Anyone wants to shoot me an email at Dave at BigNerdRanch.com. And one thing I don't, I don't think we ever really got into is, uh, just very briefly, what does Big Nerd Ranch do? Ah, oh, thanks. So Big Nerd Ranch does trainings we, on iOS and Android development and HTML5 stuff recently. Um, we also write lots of books on iOS and Android development and actually a range of other subjects. And we also do uh, iOS and Android native development. And recently, Ruby on Rails, um, specifically, we're, we're not a Ruby on Rails shop, which so is a Ruby shop who does lots of Ruby on Rails um, back-end work. Very cool. All right, well, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that's our show. Hope you've enjoyed it. To subscribe to the show if you haven't already or to check out more interviews with remote workers, go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store. The Wide Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm, signing off. Why, 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 why